The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, 15 and 60 on a Monday night for once. And we've got a lot to get to here. I'm going to try and be a little stricter so this doesn't take us two hours and 45 minutes to record just for, for our own sanity here. But let's get started with the Dallas Mavericks. They sit at 20 and 23, 3 and 5 in their last eight. Negative 0.3 net rating is 19th in the NBA. 18th ranked offense. I think that's a little bit of a disappointment to me 16th ranked defense i think given their personnel is pretty good they project for 36 wins which would be amazingly enough 14th in the conference right now only four percent chance at the playoffs at this point in time and big news for Woj shortly before we recorded according to Woj, quote the mavericks are escalating discussions to find a trade for dennis smith jr which is something that we talked about uh, that we'd heard at the g league showcase stein reported that earlier Phoenix and Orlando have engaged in ongoing talks with the Mavs. Smith Jr. sat out three straight games with what the team has termed a sore back. And then Woj's article talked about how Carlisle and Smith has struggled to find common ground. Luka Doncic is now the apple of their eye. I still think that Smith is not, in basketball terms, a terrible fit with Doncic, but it seems like this is even more potentially a personality issue. And that was something that Smith was rumored to have some difficulties with at NC State. Also struggled with injuries, some nothing major, but enough that I think it's retarded his development to some degree. So uh, what's the price for this guy? If you're the Mavs. Oof, it's tough because Dallas, their future is brighter than their present. I mean, they're projected to win 36 wins, which I think would be would be impressive considering, you know, even though last year there was some, you know, bad luck, some negative point differential stuff in there or negative, sorry, negative relative to point differential in there. But Smith is talented. He's still young. So for me, I mean, I would it would definitely, you know, I wouldn't accept anything less than a lottery pick if we're talking about draft stuff. And I would I would go personally higher than that because I think Dennis Smith is better than the average guy that will be taken in the especially the bottom half of the lottery in most years. I can't speak to this year specifically because I haven't watched those guys enough. And the other option, which I think might be more compelling for them, especially when we talk about the teams that are rumored to be engaged with them, is maybe getting somebody instead of a pick, it's just hard, but to get somebody who is already in the league. And so I don't know if it would be the whole return, but I think intellectually the idea of Jonathan Isaac being in the return for Dennis Smith to be a compelling one. I think Isaac at the five in Dallas's system would be awesome as a role guy. Maybe they can get his jump shot around a little bit more and defensively he's super talented and oozing with potential. So something like that, maybe more than a draft pick because we just don't know where this draft is. And so for me, it's hard to calibrate that as a value proposition. It's very interesting. Clearly you and I have been believers in Smith's potential. The injury stuff, the stuff behind the scenes, I mean, that's stuff that's very difficult to calibrate. You know, I think he's actually taken some steps forward this season. I mean, he's not, he's been surpassed by 
De'Aaron Fox, but I still probably like him better than Lonzo, obviously better than Fultz among guys who are in that draft as point guards in the top 10. But now, I mean, it's gotten out that they're trying to move him. And yeah, Orlando and Phoenix, both teams that have a whole long term at the point guard position. Although you can argue maybe that Devin Booker, as we'll talk about later, could be the solution there already for Phoenix. But now that it's gotten out, how much leverage do you really have? I mean, this guy was the number nine pick. Certainly looked like he could be better than that early on. That was the buzz around him initially. He started it right away. But I mean, he was the number nine pick, and they're trying to trade him. Simply the fact that they're trying to trade him has to reduce his value. And now if they're at the point where they're shutting him down, I mean, is this? it, it seems like you know Woj's statement that both sides are ready to move on. I mean, that's what kind of leverage do you have? I mean, so you're in internal leverage now if you're the Mavs is very low right we'll talk about this in trade discussions and obviously as we get into the trade deadline and do our trade deadline previews the internal leverage is very low right you can't necessarily credibly turn around and be like ah no we'll just keep them it'll be fine you know it seems like it's gotten past that point already and so maybe you can create external leverage in terms of pitting the Suns and the Magic and anybody else against each other in terms of the best deal to me you mentioned Isaac I think that would be a reasonably fair trade I think Isaac has shown a ton defensively that's the type of guy i think you would really like to have next to Doncic. i think he's a pretty good fit there they don't have necessarily a solution right now as a a power forward going forward i think barnes the thought is that he's going to opt in but you know we're looking towards the future of luka Doncic. they need somebody else who can grow with him they're likely to lose their pick as we're going to talk about this year even if they fall out of the playoff mix and so i i do think that maybe maybe you get a draft pick to replace him but then you know what's the protection going to be on that pick i think that's the the other issue right phoenix there may be a thought that they just don't want any more draft picks i happen to disagree with that i think they still need more bites at the apple because you just don't know i mean as you can see with uh Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender just having a bunch of young guys on your roster doesn't mean those guys are going to work out you probably need more of those young guys as Philly showed to really get enough of them that they're really going to work out so I don't know I mean you know Phoenix if it's top four protected pick from Phoenix uh over the next two three years is that something that you would do I don't know if the fit between Booker and Smith is that amazing especially on defense it, this well, is difficult. That gets it that gets into something that I think is really important to discuss here with Smith, which is there aren't that many teams that think they need a point guard. And in many ways that is more important than the teams that actually do. And for example, you know, like I think you and I both feel that Chris Dunn is not the answer in Chicago, but I don't think Chicago's trading for Dennis Smith. Same thing with Cleveland and Colin Sexton. They just drafted Sexton eighth overall. They're not gonna get another guy on top of him. So this the, Dude, you know where I'd love him? Be uh New York. Now, oh, yeah. now people uh, trading him for Neil Keene, I mean Neil Keene has been far worse than him like that's that's not a fair trade and the Knicks are looking at a you know a pretty good pick as well and they don't really have you know I mean even like Mitchell Robinson and Nilakina that to me is not enough you know so you, you really I don't think the Knicks have enough on their roster uh that they could do it without giving up future picks and then with the Knicks in theory supposed to get better this offseason we'll see uh there's maybe too much uncertainty there to reach a deal yeah and I mean they might be interested in trying to go after Kemba Walker and other guys and so do they want to give up that flexibility now for De- for Dennis Smith, I mean, maybe if you get a, if you get a, a de- deal that you think is value, that you can flip him again. If 
warranted, then you could do that. But yeah, there just aren't that many teams. I mean, who who were saying point guard is what we're missing, and that's a really big problem for Dallas in these negotiations. You, as you mentioned, their internal lever- leverage is really low. The one thing that I think does really work in Dallas's favor here is that thanks to Doncic being taller, they can basically get talented at any position, and I think you could make it work. You know, there maybe there are certain skill sets that would be overlapping with various players, but if it's a, a talented center that the team just has a surplus, like we talked about Orlando, you can do that. If it's a one, sure, wherever you want to go with it. And I think that helps them. It's not a circumstance where you're sitting there going, oh, well, we have three of our spots blocked out and we just need, we need a guard. And then you're sitting there going, well, crap, now we need a team that has exactly the right supply and demand. Let's turn to Denver now. 29 and 13, 6 and 2 since the last 15 and 60, although they did have a rough loss at Phoenix over the weekend. Big measuring stick coming up for them against Golden State on Tuesday. We'll be doing the NBA cast. We're going to do a little bit of a different experiment here with. We'll probably focus mostly on Golden State and Denver, but I think we're going to just skip around on League Pass, kind of try to do it red zone style and see what that's like. You know, I think it'll be a little bit difficult for people syncing up if we're changing the channel all the time, but you know, we'll, we're just experimenting here. It's a new medium and uh, hopefully we can get some feedback and, and see whether that's worth doing as opposed to just focusing in uh, on one game. For Denver, 4.9 net rating is 7th in the NBA, 6th ranked offense, down to 10th in defense. We've talked about their defensive struggles, which you're going to talk more about in a second here. They do project for 54 wins, 2nd in the conference, and uh, they will be making the playoffs, uh, barring an unforeseen calamity. So uh, you want to talk about just where they are here overall in the West hierarchy and talk a little bit about their defense. Yeah, so Denver, I, they're in a, a pretty good place. At you know, we're about the halfway point in the league right, in the year right now. They're five games ahead of the four through six teams in the Western Conference in the loss column. That was before tonight's action. I think at least one of those teams lost on Monday night, and that means they have a pretty good shot of hosting a playoff series this year because even one of those teams, you know, that they they would have to fall past two of them in order to to be the five seed, and that doesn't you know that doesn't guarantee that you're going to win a series. Portland can attest to that, obviously, but they're in a really good place. And something else that was interesting is that 538 gives them substantially lower finals and title odds than the other teams that they project at the top of the West. Some of that is they have some some weird depth things right now, and they're still getting all these guys recovering from injury. I don't know how their model accommodates that. And so we'll, we'll just kind of see with that. And then the last thing I'll say before we move on is that as of um, this morning, they have a 115.4 defensive rating with Jokic on the floor and Millsap off, which is 10th percentile. It was actually doing better midway through Millsap's absence, and then it, it, it kind of fell hard. And it is also interesting that the minutes with Jokic and a traditional power or in a power forward like Lyles or, or even Wancho, those minutes are, are awful defensively, and the stuff with Plumlee was actually quite good. They had a uh, 107 defensive rating, which is fine, and a plus 15 net rating so far in those minutes overall for the season. So it's worth watching. You know, Jokic has made some big strides, and Millsap does work. You know, he, he accomplishes a lot of the goals, but I think it is another data point on the idea that as good as Jokic has been, having another support piece there is useful, especially considering Harris was out a bunch of this time, too. Yeah, and there have been times when that Plumlee-Jokic lineup has looked pretty good, and he is a decent defensive replacement for Millsap. And I think at this point in time, you know, Millsap does have, in theory, three-point range, but he really just doesn't hang out there that much. I don't think teams really guard him out there. So I don't think that the spacing downgrade from 
Millsap to Plumlee is that significant and there definitely are teams where with Jokic and Plumlee you're just going to be too big and slow but there are not that many of those teams even in today's NBA even when you're spreading things out even with questions of whether the big man can have the same defensive impact as he used to these days more size and the Spurs have shown this too Ben Falk wrote a good piece on that last year more size generally means more defense unless those guys are just absolute noodles and so there is a, a place for that lineup is it there against the best teams can you score against the best teams is that the best for Jokic offensively you know probably not but certainly as a stopgap it makes perfect sense to, to play those guys together when Millsap is out uh another thing I wanted to highlight too Zach Lowe talked about this a little bit but I since he mentioned it Nikola Jokic as the ball handler in transition with Jamal Murray setting the screen has just been unstoppable teams just have no idea how to deal with that and that's actually a trend that I first noticed with the Pels but a lot of teams are doing this now where they either have a drag screen in transition or they'll do that 21 pitch action between guards in early offense that was pioneered by D'Antoni with a guy coming out of the corner and then they'll especially if teams are going to switch that they'll have the guard actually roll to the rim and because it's transition the defense isn't set the guard actually could be effective rolling to the rim in a way that normally you'd want a big man there because you expect there's going to be help and he's going to have to finish he's got to have more gravity so that's a a really effective play for them um last thing on these guys what do you think their rotation looks like in the playoffs like how are things going to change now will barton is back presumably he's going to move into the starting lineup maybe even as soon as tuesday against the Warriors what do you think is going to happen here not always but usually you see teams narrow their rotation eight nine guys we get in the playoffs you know seven if it's a D'Antoni team sometimes and I I think that the projected starting lineup at the start of year that they'll they'll establish that and then you think okay what bench players are going to be a part of it after that Plumlee pretty obviously is Monty Morris pretty obviously is and then you know I would assume that only one of Torrey Craig and Wancho will get serious minutes and then that other guy and Trey Lyles will probably be in the mix for everything else and you haven't heard us mention Isaiah Thomas and that's because we haven't seen anything from him so I'm not going to project him to be in it and likely it's going to be would theoretically be Isaiah or Monty Morris that would take that spot and Morris is obviously the heavy leader in the clubhouse and how insane is it that we haven't heard anything about Isaiah yet or Michael Porter or Jared Vanderbilt it's been six months and there's been no basically there's been no official update from the team at all it, it's pretty wild and there was that one thing of like, oh, they expect him to come back in December. Well, December's gone, gone, and we're halfway through January now. So I know the Nuggets are tight-lipped, and when you get a player for the minimum who's already injured, and they found something in Morris, which I think is a huge boon for them. So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, it is pretty It is pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see them either just trading Isaiah for nothing or just straight up releasing him at this point. I mean, I really just don't see where... Maybe they'll try and see how he looks, but I mean, if he's not ready now, we got less than a month to go before... For the trade deadline all right we're gonna to get to the warriors here but first this from captera in 2019 are you still doing things the old way at work you probably have some miserable software that's just killing you the way to find software that can upgrade you fits your business's needs is captera.com the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business they have over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users it has everything that you need to make an informed decision about what software is going to work for you there's more than 700 categories from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software no matter what kind of software your business needs captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast millions of people use captera each month to find the right tools for their business the 
go to get started with them is capterra.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. You can go to that link, capterra.com slash capspace for free today to find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. That's capterra, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash capspace. They'll know that slash capspace URL that you came from us. All right, what are the fundamentals on Golden State here? The Warriors are 29 and 14, 5 and 1 since the last 15 and 60. Second in net rating at plus 6.9, first in offense, 12th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 58 games, which will put them first in the Western Conference, and they're going to make the playoffs. Let's start with Chris Haynes' article, which said, essentially, Robin Lopez is trying to get a buyout from the Bulls. They're not buying him out yet, and that's preventing him from guarding the Warriors, or I'm sorry, joining the Warriors. And uh, Chris uh, talked to Robin as the Bulls got completely housed by Golden State over the weekend. What do you make of this article? Well, at first blush, it makes sense. I mean, there are a lot of people, I get this in the comments on my pieces, to thinking that the Warriors really need center depth. I mean, because Jordan Bell is pretty much out of the rotation. Kevon Looney is the one true center who actually regularly plays. But one, they're getting DeMarcus Cousins back. And two, that is a regular season issue because Kerr wants to play Draymond at center in the playoffs. It's just that he doesn't want to wear him out by doing so in the regular season. So it doesn't really make much sense to give a roster spot and all of the money that comes with giving somebody the veterans minimum when you're as far over the cap as the Warriors are for somebody who is a stopgap for a gap that doesn't need to be stopped. Like it's a strange thing for where this team is, at least under my conception of it. And I think my conception is right. Yeah. I tweeted this earlier at Nate Duncan NBA. If for some reason you don't follow me or if maybe you unfollowed me because I tweet too often during games, which I, I would totally understand. But nonetheless, I think he really is only cousins insurance and maybe they just won't play Looney anymore. I think there's still a place for him with his mobility jordan bell has been out of the rotation now pretty much but i think there's either a thought that cousins will just be too bad on defense or of course that he could get hurt again coming back from that achilles or just you know it could be a nagging injury whatever it is so he wouldn't be my number one target i still think that that's maybe more some wing help i'm not a believer in jonas drebko or alfonso mckinney secretly a really bad individual defender in the playoffs sean livingston has looked like he might be cooked this year so I, I do think they need more reinforcements on the wing. The other thing that's interesting to me is how is this not tampering at this point? And this is generally, I'm like, ah, who cares about tampering, whatever. But in this case, I think the Bulls actually would have a gripe because number one, there it's reported that they would like to move Lopez maybe for a second round pick. Or maybe even they would want to move him to a team, take back some bad salary. Though In theory, they're still trying to play the cap space game this offseason. They'll hopefully, for their sake, will give up on that and, and play the asset game instead. But maybe they could trade him and take back a bad contract that goes into 2020. So I certainly understand why they don't want to buy him out. But the fact that now it's already out that he would be joining the Warriors, how on earth would he be aware that he's going to join the Warriors if he gets bought out? Sure, you can have these informal conversations, but this is even a step beyond. I don't recall that we've seen it reported this firmly before, that before a guy had been bought out, that yes, he absolutely would join this team and they would love to have him. And clearly Golden State has let him or his agent know that. So this this is uh, a little fishy to me. This is uh, I don't recall it getting quite to this point in terms of the reporting before and it's putting pressure on the bulls in a way that they're now can't get as much for him as an asset if there's this understanding that oh if he gets traded now this guy's not going to want to play for us because he wishes he were in golden state or you know there's or, or that he's he's going to get bought out and so now you can't get as much for him in a trade so uh, yeah that, that would be a concern for me 
if I were Chicago, to be sure. Yeah, I guess there's some of that there, but it it's not like he would fail to report or something like that. And maybe he's a little bit sad about it, but Robin Lopez would still compete. Yeah. I think he'd still be way happier to be there than in Chicago, wherever there is. Yeah, but so. but I mean, this this to me is worse than the AD stuff when you know he's gonna not sign it, the designated player veteran extension, and you know this is a guy whose contract is ending but is still under contract. We're not talking about him going somewhere as a free agent or using the leverage of going somewhere as a free agent we're talking about a guy who's just finishing up at the last year of his contract so this is is i mean it's not as important obviously as ad this is a relatively small matter but it stuck out to me uh let's talk a little bit about how steph curry has been playing 48 points another 11 three-pointers 11 out of 19 in their victory over dallas hit the game-winning three-pointer with under a minute left uh, on a step back over dorian finney smith what are his numbers look like since he's returned it's now been 20 games uh since he came back from that groin issue so in that 20 game span he's been averaging 29 points five assists per game 43 percent on 12.3 three-pointers per game Warriors are outscoring their opponents by 9.3 per 100. And so Tom Haberstroh did a, I think it was actually a video thing for NBC on the third rack, which was this idea that Steph Curry should be shooting 15, up to 15 threes more often. And he has done so six times in those 20 games, including that 11 for 19 performance in the win over Dallas. And so it does seem like there's, that it's activating something. And the idea, you know, I don't think he's going to shoot 43% you know, for the rest of the year necessarily. You know, I mean, I'm not going to write it off, but the idea that if he's, you know, even at 35 getting those extra threes up is better than a lot of what the Warriors can do offensively in the half court yeah and I think generally if he's able to get it off he should be taking it you mentioned those games where he's shot over 15 he's only been under 35 percent once you know so he's not having a one for 17 game like Harden had the other day but I think also the number of threes that Harden has been taking may be influencing his thoughts a little bit now it seems like Curry has just been going absolutely crazy but if you just look at it at his box score stats uh, overall really the only thing that's up from previous years is the number of three-pointers and he's shooting a little bit better he's at 45 percent this year as opposed to you know 41 42 percent the first two kd years he's been pretty amazing he's been between 41 and 45 percent on threes every year of his career he's playing three more minutes per game this year than last year and i did have a couple of games last year where he went out early so that skewed that a little bit um and he's taking 11.6 three-pointers per game which is a little bit more than it was in that mvp season his true shooting percentage is actually down a, a little bit because his two-point percentage is down he was 59 percent last year 54 percent this year and then not getting the foul line nearly enough last year was really an outlier for him in terms of getting the foul line 35 percent free throw rate every other year of his career he's been 25 percent or below so and assists are down a little bit steals are down a little bit you know i think he hasn't been as good defensively as he has been in the past and that's what happens when you get to be 30 years old so despite these crazy games from three getting the volume up a little bit every other aspect of his game really has slipped slightly and including even the crazy numbers when he's on the floor though I'm, that's not all him one other thing i want to note briefly is that his free throw attempt rate has dropped and also his proportion of shots at the basket has dropped and so sometimes those go in concert that can indicate a lack of uh, like a shift in athleticism or something else or it could just be more dudes in the paint and yeah. each of those has been true at various junctures for he's the not drawing as many bullshit falls this year i think that's yeah. really what enabled it to go up last year you also had a, a really interesting note now that the stagger is over again with cousins coming back he's going to play the start of the second with clay thompson apparently and uh thompson may have to see it a few shots during that time yeah he might i've been 
really fascinated by this the whole season and clay's usage in minutes when curry and kd are not out there it's about 230 for the year he has a 40 percent usage rate then 55 percent true shooting which is actually better than you would expect for clay thompson shooting you know 40 percent of a team's shots but a 101 offensive rating during those minutes and some of that is they have these spacing challenge and you think about of curry and kd are both off the floor the warriors do not have a lot of other threats you know especially if if the ball's in clay's hands and his assist rate does doesn't really go up in those minutes it's just that he takes a bunch more shots yeah and he doesn't really do anything when he is the main guy to open up space for others the way curry does necessarily you know he's getting a lot of two-point jumpers coming off of screens he's not really get putting two on the ball and pick and roll and he, as you mentioned he's not passing the ball at all let's turn to houston they had a huge win tonight against the grizz blew him out by 20 harden despite not playing the last three and a half minutes 57 points on pretty efficient play as well they now sit at 25 and 18 5 and 3 in their last eight 2.1 net rating 12th in the nba they sport the fourth ranked offense amazing when you consider that chris paul basically hasn't played this year and eric gordon now has missed it a ton of time they are 24th in defense that's not amazing projecting for 49 wins which would tie them for fourth in the conference 96 percent chance now of making the playoffs and this is one houston where we probably should give the projection systems a little bit of credit even when they were around 500 and they're under 500 the projection systems in part because they incorporated preseason projections gave them pretty good chances of making the playoffs now they almost certainly will unless something happens to harden you would think but it's not all sunshine and rainbows for the rockets right now because clint capella is going to be out four to six weeks yeah he has this thumb injury and woge reported that the mri also showed ligament damage which is part of the reason why this is a four to six week absence at least projected as of now did they, no one and, we haven't heard what these guys have surgery yet have we i do not believe that i have seen that either direction at this okay. point correct and this creates an immediate need for houston now it is hopefully presumably a short-term need because capella gets back and there are no reasonable available facsimiles of clint capella i mean a good example of that was marquise chris trying to be on the floor for times in this Memphis game. And so you're kind of going to have to pick what elements of what Capella does are most important to replicate if they are going to use assets or even just money to to get a replacement for him, even in the interim. I expect them to try to do so. And it'll be interesting to see what more he values in that sort of a player. And so I had floated the idea of them trading Brandon Knight and an asset for Robin Lopez, not because Lopez is a perfect fit, though he is a capable center and that there's some value that, but also because it, it's a way for the Rockets to get off of 2019-20 money. And I, I'm sure that's something Tillman Fertitta would like. So again, not a perfect fit. I would like somebody like Deadman more there if they could do yeah. it. And Houston, it, again, this is with the idea of like what, whether they would be able to induce a buyout of somebody like Deadman to basically say, hey, if I go to the Rockets, I'm going to get this exposure for a month and a half, maybe two months. And I, that would be a great thing for me. You know, probably not going to have a ton of playoff minutes on the Rockets, but there is something to be said for being a huge part of a good team now. And so maybe that could happen too. Yeah, Rolo, I think, can give them some defensive rebounding, which they've struggled with, uh, with Capella out. He's not really much of a roll man threat, which uh, I think that's really Harden needs that. Or he's not really much of a pop threat either. He's a solid center. You could give him some offensive rebounding, but I don't really like the fit enough there to say, all right, let's throw in a first round pick as well. I think you could, if you want to throw in that first rounder, you could trade Knight to some other team and maybe find a better fit. Maybe that's not out there, but I think that a deal like that would be 
more about getting off of Knight than it would be bringing back Lopez. And the reason Lopez is a really bad fit defensively is although Houston isn't switching as much this year, they are still switching everything involving Harden because James Harden has never gotten through a screen in his life. And if you do that, now you're going to have to, Harden can get caught on the guys who can shoot the ball, who can drive. And then if you do, you know, a kind of a one, four, five, get Harden onto the ball handler with a switch. And then you bring Lopez's man up into the action. Now you've got Lopez trying to guard on the perimeter and, and he's just too slow to do that. Let's talk a little bit about their game against the Bucks because the Bucks just deployed, and we did this for the NBA cast. We talked about it quite a bit then, but if you missed that, deployed a fascinating strategy against the Rockets. A distinctly familiar strategy, especially to those who understand that Budenholzer is firmly in the Popovich coaching tree, because that is basically what they were running was what San Antonio did in the 2017 second round. That worked amazingly. Remember, that's the series when Kawhi got hurt and the Spurs still won the series. And the the general approach and different Bucks approached parts of it differently was to make Harden a driver, have him drive into size in the interior, mostly in the form of Brook Lopez, but at certain moments, Giannis or Thonmaker. And... That tires Harden out. It can make some tough shots and he and and you you're creating a different flavor of opportunity it wasn't like what what denver was doing when they were forcing him to make those pocket passes to clint capella or get the ball over to pj tucker you're forcing him to to go all the way down a lot of times take contact whether he's getting the call or not and if you have the personnel and you don't foul a ton because that was the difference between that and what memphis and what memphis did on monday it can work really well i mean it did it did in 2017 and it certainly could this year if you have the right guys yeah and after the game eric bledsoe said that he almost decided to just play it that way himself force hard into his right the spurs back when they did it it wasn't quite as extreme of a strategy utah has, has done a pretty similar look as well i mean this was even more extreme forcing harden to his right almost letting him drive I mean, more extreme than we've seen it previously i mean bledsoe was almost like standing behind him to not let him get a step back three enforcement in the lane and harden's floater actually has worked pretty well for him during this crazy stretch so that that's a shot that he has improved and if you let him just walk into that it's going to be a problem but then you have to have a brook lopez a Rudy Gobert at the rim who can defend defend that without fouling the Spurs do a great job of teaching that the Bucks all of a sudden are a really low foul team when Memphis tried that strategy Harden would just go into the lane and Jaron Jackson or you know Gasol isn't as good as Lopez was in that game anymore either so we'll see I mean I don't think Golden State is going to go that way I think they're going to just stick with the switching they've had success guarding Harden that way in the playoffs and this has been an unbelievable stretch I think this is really the best offense that we've ever seen this sort of hero ball drive and that Ben Taylor had a pod about this over the weekend and I thought it was was really interesting to think about well you know Jordan Kobe those types of guys Russell Westbrook a couple of years ago you know you're kind of going with an all defense unit and then these guys are taking 37 38 percent usage and your offense is just kind of average because you just don't have anyone else but now perhaps because Harden gets the foul line so much and because he's shooting threes instead of long twos on these self-created shots that you can you can have an efficient offense just based on this at least in the regular season but you worry about the sustainability of this in the playoffs I worry about the sustainability in playoffs for on two different fronts one is just you're facing better personnel you can adjust and scout we've seen Harden struggle sometimes with that shift in opposition not quite 
like what we've talked about with DeRozan before, but there are elements of this, especially for guys who draw a lot of fouls. The bigger part for me is just the physical toll that this is taking on James Harden. I mean, that's a story of the last couple of years is that he just hasn't had enough gas in the tank for a long playoff run. And he's, you know, playing 39, 40 minutes a game of extremely high you know, workload, even if it's more on offense than on defense, obviously, it's still a lot to do. And Houston's going to need Harden, especially if Chris Paul isn't the guy that he was last year. They're going to need him early in the playoffs and they're going to need him often. And so there is an argument to be made that this stretch, however long it lasts, it looks like it'll be another little bit, though Eric Gordon's return whenever it happens will help, that this could win or clinch Harden his second consecutive MVP award, but it could come at the cost of just taking too much out of him to be the guy he needs to be for the Rockets to, let's say, make it their first NBA Finals in this era. Let's turn to the Clippers. 24-19 after a loss at home to the Pels tonight, despite shooting over 50% from three tonight. They were, or sorry, right at 50% with a couple of garbage time misses. 18 out of 36, which is a lot more threes than they normally get up. Either they're towards the bottom of the league in three-point attempt rate. Three and four since the last 15 and 60. It seems like Lou Williams coming back did help them write a skid, but it does seem like they're still kind of living on what they did that first month and a half of the season when their e-field goal percentage defense was just unsustainably good and they really are settling in as a clear bottom 10 defensive team which is not a surprise in the slightest given their personnel and if you look at them trying to guard new orleans with julius randall and ad and gallo has to guard one of those two guys he's just not strong enough to do that and ad dropped 46 points on them you wanted to talk though uh, well actually i'll give a few more observations from that game first that would make more sense uh shea gilgis alexander zero points negative 13 he got the keith bogans in this game and, and i do wonder uh, while he still is a good prospect he's not the most scalable guy at this point in time meaning that he, he's looked good when he's had the ball but really as an off-ball player he's pretty useless at this point in time there's one pretty memorable record scratch that he had in a corner three so he's not really going to spot up at all he's got a he plays at a slow pace he's not really going to push the ball he's not going to draw a ton of help at this point in time he wants to kind of work his way into the lane get some extension work to his mid-ranger so he's a good prospect i think he's been good defensively but i don't see him especially if they get into the playoffs as being really the best option to close games for them i think it makes sense to start him just to kind of boost him as a rookie and he'll he'll play better obviously than he did tonight one guy though who still i mean it seemed like he had a good game because he hit three of eight from three but probably one of his better shooting games of the season and still was only 50% true shooting was Avery Bradley. He continues to really struggle. He has been very quietly, at least for me, destructive this season. Bradley, yeah, you said he was three of eight from three, nine points in 30 minutes, also had five assists, which was better than he usually does. Is that a career high? (laughs) I don't think it's quite a career high, but it's probably up there for him. If If I have the chance, I'll actually look that up. But before tonight's game, Avery Bradley has a 5 PER, 45% true shooting on 14 usage. He is in the bottom 10 in PIPM for the entire season, negative on offense and defense. And something else that's... Con- and so so you have all that stuff. And you're like, okay, this is not a guy who, who has been effective offensively or has played particularly well. He started every single game he's appeared in, which is now up to 38, and he's playing 29 minutes a game. So there is a, a question here. You know, Doc is playing Avery Bradley over Patrick Beverly. I actually think Beverly is a better fit with Shea for a couple of different reasons, just because he can do a little bit more initiating. And having that kind of pest defensively, I think, is, is a... Is a is a good thing to kind of blunt the spear a little bit. So 
I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Doc as a coach. I'm not a huge fan of the way that they've approached this and giving, giving Avery Bradley this much leeway when he doesn't have that equity with this team and hasn't looked like that guy for a while now, especially not after his, you know, hernia issue last year. And so I think that's, that is really hurting them. I mean, this game, Bradley, along with Che, you know, negative 13 in a game that they only lost by a couple points that went down to the, went down to the wire. Their starters got outplayed by the Pell starters pretty significantly. And the big picture thing, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but just for the sake of argument, we'll tentatively place the Jazz, the Blakers. Well, hold on. Bla- One more thing on that. Uh, Go ahead. Their starting lineup with Bradley and Gilgis Alexander, I think those are the third and fourth best guards on the roster. And then Gortat at center, clearly not the best center on the roster. Negative 5.6 net rating, and that's their most used lineup, 501 possessions. It's That lineup has played about one-seventh of their season so far and just like last year they start pretty much every game in in a little bit of a hole and that's what happened here in the third quarter in particular uh so uh, yeah i I do think that they you got to take one of either bradley or Gilgis alexander out of that starting lineup and i think it should be bradley and and i guess they just they don't want to start lou will though you know i mean i guess i guess that's it and bradley start beverly i think that would be better yeah i I think so too i think beverly is maybe a little bit better than bradley offensively i mean bradley the theory of bradley works better as a shooting guard so it's still I mean, this is one of those things we talked about how with Nikola Vucevic there are some ways and despite the fact that he's a very good player he kind of holds the franchise hostage and having Lou Williams be your best guard but for whatever reason seem like he's incapable of starting and just having so many defensive limitations even though he's very important and he's going to close games for them in almost all circumstances you know that kind of holds you hostage a little bit as a franchise as well I mean, you have to make all these weird decisions and sacrifices because you're building around him well, in some ways there's, there's another thing to mention there though which is that playing Lou Gallo and Harris all together I, I think you're you're making the whole less than the sum of the parts just because all those guys are capable with the ball in their hands now you would have a pretty dynamic offense with those three guys on the floor and if he I, I think you try it out just for the hell of it I mean they had they it's not working right now. You want to do something different. So yeah, you can go for that. But let's do briefly the big picture thing I want to talk about. So I think we have a pretty clear sense of a couple of the teams that are in the that are in the playoff mix. And so for the sake of it, let's put the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Lakers who are more on the fringes as in. If you do that, there's only one spot left in the West. And you could argue a bunch of different teams, the Clippers, the Spurs, the Pels, somebody else like the Grizz or the Kings or the Wolves. Who do you trust the most? Who who do you think is has the most likely to make it out of that morass? Whether there's one got team that makes it or two or three i think the pelicans have the highest ceiling you could argue that the pelicans have the second highest ceiling in the western conference maybe that's houston depending on what paul looks like when he comes back but and this pelicans team and they, they showed it tonight and they are really good when they have everyone healthy and we'll talk more about them of course later in the alphabet i mean i'm not sure you can say that the lakers are in so but i don't know i mean i think the clippers to me ha- are the most consistent of that group you just kind of know what you're going to get with them you're going to get to the foul line they're always going to have a pretty decent offense they've got good spacing they've got good offensive players they're never going to stop anybody you know so i I mean they're kind of going to play around the level of a 40 to 45 win team the spurs have been so up and down the pels have been so up and down so really i'm not sure there um you know and i'd say the kings grizz wolves are are uh significantly below that group um let's move on to those aforementioned lakers 23 and 21 three and five since the last 15 and 60 a total now of three and seven without lebron 
after that awful loss to Cleveland last night. Cleveland, with perhaps the worst defense in NBA history, Lakers put up 95 points and it required a furious rally to even get to there. Couldn't hit anything from the foul line, 16 out of 27 and 10 of 41 on jump shots. So the Lakers still though 14th in net rating, all the way down at 22nd in offense, but sixth in defense. I mean, that's the fact that they're sixth in defense to me with this personnel, we thought their defense was going to suck this year is pretty incredible. I mean, anyone saying Luke Walton should be fired, uh, should look at that sixth in defense number and, and think again. They now project for 42 wins, which would be 10th and only 34% chance of the playoffs, although obviously LeBron will be back at some point, but it still seems like Windhorst is talking on his pod today about how he still thinks it's going to be another week or two and that maybe LeBron will have to come back before he's ready. And, you know, this is a muscle injury. Like, that's not the type of thing you want to be kind of toughing out uh, as compared to some other injuries. Do you think a lot of they've been shooting really poorly? I don't know that the idea, and McMenamin tweeted out that maybe they might try to sign Jody Meeks or, or that he would be a name to keep in mind. I don't know that lack of shooting is really the issue for this team at least in this though it is the issue but i don't know that the lack of shooting that we all complained about in terms of their offseason signings or that that they could make a move for i don't think it's really going to change that much because the guys who can't shoot are the guys who are supposed to be staples on this team ingram is like 30 percent for three lonzo is 30 percent for three and cal kuzma quietly is now below 30 percent from three despite ha- having some effectiveness scoring in other ways so like, you're not going to take those guys out of the lineup Maybe, I mean, you could say, hey, they should have gotten some shooting so they could have just replaced those guys. You were never going to, I mean, they're relying on Kuzma and Ingram, certainly. Ball, maybe, you know, you could say Rondo would play over him and they should have gotten somebody who could shoot better than Rondo. But, I mean, the problem is just the guys that were already there can't shoot. It's not the the fact that they signed these guys who can't shoot. That's a really good point. And it ties in with why I always thought it was going to take a little while to figure this out around LeBron James. And, you know, Ingram especially, I think, is a, is a poor fit for some of the reasons that, that you mentioned. And also, I think he's better with the ball in his hands. And so you could try a stagger, but some of those problems just are going to persist. And the Lakers could, you know, depending on how they want to structure it, they could, you know, have shooters in the other spots and then, you know, kind of go to a Cleveland-esque lineup for a few minutes a game. But remember, the other thing here in terms of floor spacing is they tried going with these smaller lineups and they they failed. And so they had to go with centers and you can't find centers that can defend the rim and shoot threes very often on the scrap heap. Those guys don't really, yeah. you know. No, you, no, no. I mean, you could you could maybe find them on your team and available for the biannual, but uh, maybe. You know, but the figure just let them go. You know, they, they don't need yeah, or, Lopez. Or just, or, just an, or, or just antagonize them over the course of the time they're on the team so much that they would rather go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, obviously, Lopez wouldn't have been this player necessarily. Uh, oh, you know, I, I, I'm even confident he bummer, wouldn't have been. But but, but nonetheless, uh, he certainly would have helped them in, with, with their spacing. Sure. Um, oh, and one other thing, I, I you and I have talked about this before, but I want to, it bears repeating when Luke Walton's job, you know, feels like there's, there's been that reporting before that Magic and Palenka won him out and Genie Buss is kind of, I think Bill Orham had a piece talking about this recently as well, where Genie Buss is really what's holding that back is, remember that they were 14th in defense last year? And sure. we talked about how they, how they outperformed with their personnel and i believe they were much better than that they were somewhere around 11th for a period of time then just fell back a little bit and so yeah there there are elements of what luke has done i mean especially in that cleveland game there were some things that just felt like they were flat offensively and all that but i think that sometimes you you kind of lose the forest for the trees with the idea of like oh the you know they're running some bad stuff when if your guys can't freaking shoot then a lot of things are going to look bad 
Yeah, and this stretch has been brutal for them, not only in that they're losing ground, and they have basically a must-win tomorrow night against the Bulls at home, because after that, their next three games are at OKC, at Houston, and then home against Golden State, none of which it looks like LeBron is going to play for. And then they have a couple a couple more easy games, and they have a, a bunch of more hard games. They take a East Coast road trip. They play a bunch of difficult teams there. Maybe LeBron will be back by that point in time. But and they're only two games over 500 right now. They're probably going to be a game under 500 at a minimum by the time Le- LeBron gets back. But the reason this has been even more disastrous for them is the future of the franchise beyond this year because these young guys haven't impressed without LeBron. Now this argument that he was holding them back doesn't hold water anymore. And so really, you know, who is a premium trade asset as a young player on this team at this point in time? I'm not sure who that is. You know, I mean, they don't really have a guy that you could argue is a top 15 type of prospect in the NBA to trade and they have all their draft picks going for it, but those aren't going to be great picks. So I don't know that they have the ammo to make a trade for a star. Even if AD wants to go there, maybe they'll have to wait until next summer or summer of 2020 when he becomes a free agent but everyone seems to think no there's no way he's going to get to free agency so they certainly i mean you throw the celtics have probably four or five assets that is better than the best lakers asset at this point in time and what that means is that boston doesn't have to throw all of them in you know to get in that circumstance and and it's possible that the price gets five might be a little rough but but, but i think four four. is probably closer yeah i mean memphis memphis pick king's pick we'll see what the kings end up well i mean tatum is obviously above yeah I mean, so all those yeah i still i still think braun to me is clearly above anybody uh, on this lakers roster maybe some people would disagree but uh he, he's actually back to kind of where he's supposed to be after a, a rough start to the season let's move on to those memphis grizzlies Oof, just continue to struggle they did have a big win against the spurs but that is their only win in their last eight games now 19 and 24 negative 2.0 net rating 22nd in the nba their offense is horrendous 28th in the league defense was a top five unit now it's down to seventh that turnover rate proved unsustainable early in the season project for 38 wins which would be 12th in the conference 13 percent playoff odds also big problems kyle anderson grade two ankle sprain he'll be out two to four weeks that may help their offense a little bit but will not help their defense and of course dylan brooks is out for the year they signed general soaks to a two-way i mean he might actually help them just to boost their offense a little bit but uh it's long been uh, a favorite of theirs at, at times and you know the pickings for two-way guys are, are not particularly compelling right now well yeah and i mean there was a, a good example of their depth issues when against houston they started javon carter at the two i mean some of that was probably because you just can throw him as a, as a a really aggressive defender you can throw him on different guys including Harden yeah but they just don't have that many options and so they had they wanted to use in that game Shelvin Mack was their backup one and then they you know you have Justin Holiday coming off their bench and then you you have Garrett Temple starting but it's just not that many guys that we would consider I use the term swingmen for twos and threes but just not that many wings however you want to however you want to cut it and so Memphis they have to do some real soul searching right now and it was interesting that so Zach Lowe tweeted about this I actually was was kind of wanted to talk about this anyway that they have this rough schedule coming up and they're already now five games under 500 in a stacked Western Conference and so Zach talked about basically how this could get worse and they're gonna have to start thinking about stuff but then what I found really interesting was Mark Stein replied to that and said that there's a possibility Marcus Gasol opts out of his player option and that Memphis should consider and opts out 
to leave, not opts out to re-sign for a lesser value or something like that, or or even for more value. But so that his point was kind of that Memphis could trade him so they wouldn't let him leave for 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 nothing. And I mean, really, what I think their front office needs to be thinking about is just where is this team going? Some of that, you know, they played Jaron Jackson at the five a little bit in the fourth quarter of that Rockets game. And thinking about those things is a good thing to do in the immediate because they're closer to their pick protection than some people think. Yeah, we can talk about that in a second. And one guy I'm kicking myself that we didn't discuss for extensions is Marcus Gasol. Now, as you mentioned, he's not going to opt out and then take less money in an extension. But, you know, I mean, to me, if I'm the Grizzlies and, and if he opts in, then they can't extend him. So he would have to opt out and then they would have to give him similar money to what he's already making next year. But if you're the Grizzlies and you say, hey, we'll offer you, you know, a two-year extension and he says, no, yeah, I do think you need to think about trading him. Now, we've been saying that they should have traded him and traded Conley two years ago, probably. But so it wouldn't shock me. And then also, I'm not sure really who needs Gasol at this point yeah he started the year off amazingly and and, and his fall off has been a big part of, of why and he was invisible today against the Rockets uh his fall off has been a big part of, of why they haven't maintained that early pace um so yeah I mean we'll, we'll when we do our trade division or trade deadline preview of the Southwest division we'll look a little bit more about you know who might want him and what the value could be but if they do move him as you're starting to say it wouldn't be impossible to keep their pick should they want to do that every thing they've said is that they don't want to do that but that's what they always say it makes sense for teams to start each season with lofty aspirations and memphis you know they have they had talent they had Connolly and gasol starting season those guys have actually been pretty healthy this year and which is great but they just haven't had enough and so memphis many of you know that pick is top eight protected for this season right now memphis is tied with the orlando magic for the eighth worst record in the league and they memphis is near the bottom of a big mass from 19 to 22 wins so uh, so just playing a little bit better would push them back into a big mass and make the odds of retaining the pick a lot stronger but something else worth considering is that two of the teams that have worse records than memphis washington and detroit are absolutely still pushing for the playoffs. And so if Memphis just takes their foot off the accelerator, because those teams with similar records are closer to the playoffs, Memphis could actually ease into this a little bit. And what you talked about before of, yeah, oh, Memphis's intention was started the season was to give away this pick. Once you're starting to look a top eight, you know, top six pick in the face, then it becomes a very different thing to give that up, especially if and presumably when they get eliminated from the playoffs, because at that point, the pressure to keep winning is a lot lessened. And then the and you could go the other way. You can rest Conley. There are lots of ways for this team to lose a bunch of games if they want to. And so I I think that's where this is going. I don't think they're going to get there for another month or two, but I do, I do think that's going to be part of the story. And for, the, for those who remember, this has been actually a criticism of the conference format in terms of the playoffs before, is that West teams know that they're out of it earlier so they can actually tank or de-incentivize however you want to talk about this earlier. And I think Memphis could end up being a prime example of this. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the draft, your top three rookie of the year candidates are all in the Western Conference, although the Hawks did trade out of the third slot, could have drafted Luca. this just in. Yeah, it, it, what compounds the or, or complicates it, I should say, is that that pick falls to top six protection next year and then unprotected in 2021. And especially if you move Gasol, I don't know how you can convince yourself you're going to be much better. And this is supposed to be kind of a crappy draft. So if I had to guess, I don't think that they will try and tank it. I mean, it would be very interesting to see if they're right on the borderline at the end of the season and they're still trying to win. That, that would be interesting. Update on Justin Holiday: four games, 70 minutes. You would think, oh yeah, we got Justin Holiday. Like he's, we got to shore up our depth. He's a two guard. Like he should spend a lot of time guarding James Harden. Eh, didn't really play much. 
tonight he was only 14 minutes a further 0 for 3 he now has a zero or i'm sorry very important distinction here negative 0.1 per shooting 28 percent from the field let's move now to minnesota 21 and 22 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 0.6 net rating that's 17th in the nba 13th on offense 17th on defense projecting for 41 wins that would be 11th in the conference and still 32 percent chance of making the playoffs and despite the covington injury despite the butler trade i mean i think they've hung on really impressively yeah and that's also been true since Ryan Saunders took over, they had that stirring win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then they had a close loss against Dallas and then beat the Pels on Saturday. And of course, something near and dear to our own our own heart. In practice, I don't know which day it was. Saunders said that they the, the coaching staff decided to make long twos worth negative points in a scrimmage, which seems like a, a, a de- declaration of war against Andrew Wiggins. But that's I, I, it's good. That That's what you, you should try to discourage those shots overall. And one of the ways that Mem- that Minnesota can change their station with similar personnel is just by you know maximizing a little bit more offensively and that was something you and I struggled with so much last season was that this it felt like they could be much more efficient than they were even though they were I think like sixth in offense last year and so we'll see what Saunders can do this year in that respect. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I mean, Wiggins, after his big breakout game, uh, hasn't done as much since then in OKC. He did have that 40-point game. By the way, make sure you watch every single Thunder-Wolves game until they stop being amazing. <laughs> oh, something crazy always seems to happen when those guys get together. Let me give you Carl Towns' last 20 games. 9.1 net rating, 27% usage, 59% true shooting. So basically right back where he was offensively in the first Tibbs year before Butler came along. But And 105.7 defense rating, which is outstanding. 115 on offense. I mean, that's that's franchise player type of performance right there. And, and their backup bigs aren't that good. I still think, especially now that they have a good power forward option in charge, they should move Gibson to backup center just take jang out of the rotation completely uh, maybe saunders uh, will get to that obviously tibbs was more of a jang believer although jang was still gets really angry when he doesn't play that much uh, apparently they also even have been playing tolliver at the three a little bit to get some more shooting on the floor in robert covington's absence and i think we'd be thinking of them a little differently since that trade if they had just been a little bit more lucky they would have the record or the point differential of a 19 and 11 team since the trade i mean that's that's really good uh and it just it seems like oh they traded butler how good can they be but i keep waiting for them to fall out of it especially with the covington injury and that hasn't happened yet how much longer do they have to play this way for you to believe that they actually you know can be an above 500 team with this nucleus after the trade i don't know about another two weeks they have they have some pretty challenging games ahead they play in philly on tuesday and then they have a road they have a road trip which is phoenix lakers jazz so two of those three games are, are are challenging and the suns if devin booker's back are obviously a very different team we'll see what's going on with him at that point and also, also remember, impressive yeah think of how many uh like rose and teak have been out right and, right and now covington's out too yeah, and yeah, so. yeah they've been they've been dealing with a lot i, I feel like i should be that I, I might be just late to the party with them because they, they have and when i watch them they've played well too this is it's not one of those circumstances where i just catch them on bad days all the time or anything like that i probably should be buying it more than i am and i mean towns is a monster this is this is not news to to, to many who well, listen to this it podcast is, or it to is us. news 
that they could play competent defense with him on the floor. Yes, that that that's is nice. that is an important that is an important thing, and that's actually the, one of the big reasons why I'm skeptical. And let's see if Saunders can can straighten out some of this rotation stuff. And of course, he'll be helped by getting some of these guys healthy that can can straighten this out. I mean, even going back to when Teague played, but then they had to close. Which with I was gonna say, tr- wait, God, now I'm trying to remember which Jones brother they have because the other guy just Tyus, separated Tyus because Trey because Trey just separated his shoulder, so he's been in my head today. But um, yeah, Tyus had to close some games, but yeah. I, they could end up being, you know, that last team standing in that in that mix for the Western Conference. It wouldn't shock me at this point, especially considering I think we, we, sometimes we un, we exaggerate their uncertainty, and then teams like the Clippers and the Spurs that have been so up and down this year, just because maybe they have a little bit more of a track record that they get, you know, they don't get a pass because we acknowledge that when we talked about them before. But it, you know, it's different. Yeah, if they hadn't been four and nine, if they had just made that trade, uh, you know, at the start of the season instead of keeping Butler, maybe they would. Actually- actually be more serious in the playoff mix at, at this point new orleans won today they are 21 and 23 miritich is back although it hasn't made much of an impact since he's returned he's still coming off the bench but five and two they also got alfred payton back again he, he didn't play down the stretch of this one either we'll talk more about that game but 2.4 net rating ninth in the entire nba third ranked offense i mean this is a very very good offense 25th ranked defense and they're still projected for 43 wins still still projected to make the playoffs uh 40 percent chance of making the playoffs but they are projected to get a tie for the seventh seed their schedule is pretty rough although they are handling it at least early on in this stretch yeah it was something that was was pointed out by sean kelly that i are actually and originally i think he got it from dave benz who was the wolves announcer that the pelicans have to fly to 16 consecutive games they do have some home games it's not a 16 game road trip obviously but they only play one off home games and so that means you have to travel a lot and they so they have six home games they're all standalone so they don't have consecutive home games until valentine's day basically which is pretty remarkable and pelicans pr label went on top of that by saying in that stretch the pelicans will fly about eleven thousand miles which is really ridiculous and they are playing plenty of good teams during this stretch they already played the clippers warriors blazers at okc the rockets you know a lot a lot of good teams here so being healthier will definitely help and this team has been really impressive when they've had their best players available including that that third quarter today i mean at least the first eight minutes of it was pretty ridiculous so they have to actually do it though because they're four or five games back in the loss column and it takes some work to to jump as many teams as they need to jump some more observations uh, from their game against the the clippers today they actually closed it with a lineup that is somewhat similar to the one that i, I thought they should have been using more in previous years holiday at the one Etuan Moore now back uh, although he didn't do much in this game at the two uh, darius miller at three and then they went with randall at four and ad at five interesting to think about how they want to do this now though you know i'm not sure that a Miller is a better play than Miritich again maybe Miritich is just working back from this ankle issue and that's why he didn't close the game I haven't heard anything about a minutes limit for me he only played 17 minutes in this one so I'm guessing the minutes limit wasn't 17 you might as well to me just play Miritich at the three just get some more rebounding he's a better help defender than Miller is although Miller somehow had four blocks in this game he had a couple of nice help plays but overall Miritich has been a better help defender in his career and I don't think that Miller is really any quicker or a better individual defender than Miritich is either Miritich has not been good at the three a lot but you know we know how limited they are at that position you could also say maybe you would go with Peyton 
but I think they felt like with Tobias Harris and Gallo on the floor, that was a little bit too small. They didn't want to be too vulnerable to post-ups. And then Randall is so interesting. I mean, he was plus 21 in this game, 27 points, just killed it in the first half. But I, I do think he struggles defensively. The other thing that was didn't really make much sense to me is why they would play Jalil Okafor 10 minutes. Again, maybe there's just a feeling that Randall and Miritich just don't work together. Uh, let me ask you this. I mean, with either Randall or Miritich, you know, assuming both those guys are at the peak of their powers, if it's an either-or situation of who's going to play power forward in the closing lineup next to AD, who are you going to pick? For the most part, I would pick Miritich. I think that he provides more of, of what the Pelicans need in terms of floor spacing. I think he's a better defender personally. I mean, Randall has been, you know, we've talked about his issues at various moments in the past, but you can play the hot hand a little bit. I have no problem with what Alvin Gentry did here. Randall was playing very well. Miritich was not, and the Clippers couldn't really handle the the offensive rebounding they couldn't handle what the, what Randall could do inside so you had all those things together and Davis was was feeling his jump shot a little bit too so then you didn't have as much congestion around the basket not only for the bigs but also for the the guards who were penetrating so I would generally go Miritich but not exclusively yeah the numbers on that Randall and Miritich together are not great 118 defensive rating and they've played a fair number of possessions together 515 possessions AD and Randall AD and Miritich both very good because you know ad is part of that and then all three together have only played 98 possessions that's basically about one full game's worth but they are uh plus 19.4 there all right we got to get to okc but first this from an old school dunked on sponsor who are back postmates i love postmates because and i've used them for probably gosh probably almost five years now because they can bring you anything food delivery grocery delivery whatever you can think of postmates will bring it to you if you want red wine at 4 p.m you want sushi at 9 p.m you want your breakfast burrito at 8 a.m you don't have to go to the store anymore you don't have to know where the store is because postmates will deliver anything to you within an hour 24 hours a day 365 days a year the largest on-demand network in the known universe they are better than all these other food delivery services because they'll bring you anything it's not just food you download the app for ios or android for free you can browse local restaurants and businesses and of course track your delivery check this out you can get a hundred dollars of free delivery credit you got to use it in your first seven days but a hundred dollars of free delivery credit i think i could figure out a way to spend a hundred dollars in the first seven days to start your free deliveries right now you could download the app and use the code capspace easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time on the program that's capspace for one hundred dollars of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the postmates app anything you need anytime you need i mean you could just make one order from the grocery store or order in uh, for you and your friends to watch a game with that one hundred dollars of free delivery credit once again download the postmates app and save using that cap space code and let them know that you came from us what are the fundamentals on the oklahoma city thunder the thunder are now 26 and 16 four and three since the last 15 and 60 their plus six net rating is good enough for fourth they are 19th you know still hopefully working their way up offensively but best in defense not a surprise and their 538 projection is 53 wins which would be third in the western conference and they're going to make the playoffs a little bit of an update we said on i think it was yesterday's podcast because i i had noted that we were reaching the six-week window where they had kind of said it was a six-week setback with Andre Robertson, and it's not good news. Billy Donovan said in a press scrum on Monday that Robertson is not anywhere close to playing. The Thunder are optimistic they will have him back this season, but he is still rehabbing, and you know they have the number one defense without him, but 
Robertson is of course a capable player in the rotation, somebody that they that they want to have in there, and they have they have missed him even though the defense has been phenomenal. Yeah, another issue for them too is that their schedule, despite that plus six net rating, is looking pretty rough the rest of the way. Yeah, they so using the winning the you know the the records of teams as they are right now, they have by far the hardest schedule remaining in the league. Their average uh, win percentage of their opponents is actually fifty five percent. No one in the league is above fifty two two. That's the Lakers. Most teams are fifty percent. You know, some are obviously below. As far down as forty six percent for the Toronto Raptors right now they have the easiest remaining schedule and a good encapsulation of that is that Oklahoma City has played all of their games against the Cavs and Suns but have no but have not played any of their games against Toronto and Milwaukee so some of the the cream of the crop they haven't faced at all and some of the dregs they have they have already finished their allotment I wanted to look at Terrence Ferguson who did have seven three-pointers in a game last week I think that's like his one over 20 point game for the season remember he had that huge game against the Lakers where he had a bunch of dunks late last year and it seemed like he was getting some buzz but uh obviously his overall numbers uh, on the season are not incredibly inspiring although he continues to start of course he's actually has played almost exactly as many minutes this year as he played last year and the numbers are very very similar actually a lower per than last year usage one of the lowest usage players in the nba right around 10 percent. really the only big difference is that he's shooting 37 percent from three instead of 33 percent. but his three-point attempt rate is actually down from 7.8 per 100 possessions last year to 6.0 this year and he's also shooting worse uh, on two-pointers this year so that's about averaging out and true shooting percentage a little bit below the league average around 54 percent full seasons 5.6 per so the offense is not particularly there he's not a high usage guy hopefully he will continue to shoot more i mean just even the fact that he shot seven three-pointers much less made them is an encouraging sign for him he is 13 out of 24 at the rim in the half court for a guy who's really bouncy that's a little disappointing he also doesn't really have much of a knack for getting fouled but i mean he's not doing anything off the dribble and they also just never even throw in the ball he is last among players in the nba with at least 50 touches in touches per possession so they really just never even let him touch the ball <laughs> frankly and you know, i think he's at least there's an understanding that he's a decent shooter that he might need to be guarded but his offensive game i mentioned 24 shots in 35 games at the rim in the half court and only 18 foul shots all season two of 11 on jump shots off the dribble again i think he's basically just never even dribbling when he's playing with the starters he will kind of sneak along the baseline for a cut on occasion he likes to if he doesn't get the ball on those he likes to maybe get up for a tap on the offensive glass a couple of those shots at the rim his that probably understates his finishing because a lot of those are just taps that he's missed he's had like you know a couple of sequences where he bounces off the ground a couple times for taps and just doesn't get any of them to to go down uh 75% of his shots come without any dribbles and 85% of his shots come with one or fewer dribbles so what have you thought of him just generally defensively in the games that you've watched any I've been encouraged that Ferguson hasn't typically been a point of failure and when you have a defense this good that is a, an important statement you know it's, it's very different than on a team like when the Hawks were really struggling defensively or the the Suns were all that might mean is that you're they're just attacking someone else and Ferguson you know I think he does a nice job getting getting around screens you know just like or getting through them however you want to define terms there and so his guy isn't cut breaking loose as often and that that's a really good thing though of course the, the thunder have a lot of good help defenders but that is probably the biggest positive for his game is that his guy's not breaking loose that often and i and i do really like that about ferguson and even if he's barely shooting threes having 30 
37 37% this year. The hope is that he can defend well enough to keep him on the floor, but that he can, you know, that teams will respect his jump shot, which I still don't think they do yet. But, you know, he, he brings a lot of el- a lot of other things to the table which are useful i watched film of all of his isolation defense possessions and crazily enough i think ogc has already played houston three times now over half of the isolation possessions he's defended were against james harden i thought he did a pretty credible job uh he was able to bother Harden, step back a little bit he moves his feet very well and because he is skinny he's able to get skinny over screens so a lot of guys who are skinny don't necessarily do that they just kind of die you know he's able to lift his hips and get into that little wedge between the ball handler and the screener he puts a lot of effort out on the perimeter just denying making catches difficult and there's really only out of all those isolation i think he's defended like 25 on the season there really really only one or two where i was like well he really got beat and the guy got a, a, a good shot and like you said, you know, he's Paul George, Russell Westbrook. Your teams are not going to ISO against Russell Westbrook. That's where he's going to be pretty effective. So Ferguson in that starting lineup is going to be the target. And I think he's looked pretty good. As a help guy, you'd like to maybe see a little bit more from him with his athleticism. Doesn't have a particularly outstanding block or steal rate. I haven't really noticed him making a lot of help plays, but generally his role is going to be guarding a guy who's going to come off of screens, sticking more to a shooter. Um, in PIPM, he is 378th in the league, but much of that is him being terrible on offense. He is actually considered a plus on defense. So basically for any perimeter player to be a plus, uh, that's uh, something to be happy about. Let's move to the Phoenix Suns here. The Suns are now. 11 and 33 2 and 5 since last time we we covered them 26th in net rating at negative 8.4 a rough 27th in offense and 28th in defense as a combo and their 21 wins it projects them to be 15th in the western conference and i believe it's second from the bottom oh it's they're tied for third from the bottom overall and they're not making the playoffs we already knew that wanted to talk a little bit about some of devin booker's on off splits and what some of the numbers say about him pipm which you recall from our discussion uh during the awards is basically a metric that is not it's based on pure on off data it does not adjust for the quality of teammates it doesn't do that regularized uh regression doesn't adjust for who you're going up against but it does purport to adjust for luck of both your teammates shooting and your opponents shooting booker is 285th in the nba right now in pipm plus 2.41 on offense that's very solid you know that's not superstar level but that's a top 50 mark negative 3.07 on defense so that is really bad and so he's actually comes out as a negative player by that particular metric on off in rpm which does not adjust for, in theory, luck and shooting, although there's certainly an argument that he can affect the shooting of his teammates, which we'll get to, and perhaps shooting of opponents as well, but that's more on jump shots and free throws. He's 15th overall in offensive RPM, 3.34, but again with the RPM negative 2.31 on D, so 85th overall in RPM. So you see that there is the luck adjustment there is pretty big so what changes when booker is out of the lineup remember that a lot of these on off metrics in particular rpm can be skewed by especially with given the limited sample size everyone because he hasn't played that many games this year and also you know we're only halfway through the season in any event his backups have been really terrible uh and despite that the defense now it's this has actually gotten a lot worse in the last two three weeks 4.3 points per 100 possessions worse when booker is on the floor and it's not like they have these unbelievable guys backing him up but defensively what's the big difference their forcing of turnovers declines by three percent 
The rest of the numbers aren't really significantly different in terms of the shot profile given up or, or the shooting. So Booker, I'm not going to blame being 3% worse at forcing turnovers, or I, I should say the turnover rate declining by 3%. I'm not going to blame a lot of that on him. I think that that number overstates maybe how bad he's been defensively. And then on offense, 12.6 points per 100 possessions better four percent higher offensive rebounds that could be him a little bit where he's drawing defensive attention he's missing their space in the floor a little better and they're getting some offenses i'm not going to say that's a ton though uh, of him this is the first year of his career that there's been a big difference when he's on the floor getting more offensive rebounds one thing i do ascribe to him though is that they turn the ball over a lot less when he's on the floor a lot of that is him, but you know, a lot of that is also based on the fact that these other Suns ball handlers are really kind of overwhelmed. And then the biggie is that they shoot 3.6% better e-field goal percentage when he's out there. Interestingly enough, the shot mix is somewhat similar. They take fewer shots at the rim, but a lot more from three. Compare that to last year when their shot mix was actually worse when he was on the floor. They took way more mid-rangers and way fewer threes when he was on the floor. So that's something that's improved. And then when he's on the floor, they shoot 6.6% better from mid-range than when he's off the floor, and they shoot 3% better from three. I think that's something that you, certainly with the number of mid-rangers that he shoots, that's something that you can give him credit for. Another thing I wanted to talk about is what it looks like when he's at point guard. He'd never played more than 5% of his minutes at point guard until this year. Now that is 38% of his minutes and they have a 115 offensive rating in Booker's minutes at point guards. That is very good, especially when you consider how bad they are in all of the other minutes. Uh, and that their offensive rating when he is at shooting guard, and that includes when they played Jamal Crawford at point guard. Uh, the system considers Crawford the point guard, Booker the shooting guard. Only 108 offensive rating when he's at shooting guard and the defense is terrible whichever position he's at so i think this booker certainly with this personnel the more point guard booker plays the better they just i think that can make them better defensively although that hasn't come out quite yet in the numbers just because and i mean you consider some of the players they have crawford has passed well this year but has shot it awfully Isaiah Kanan was supposed to be a shooter, didn't really shoot it that well, didn't do anything else. So I really think they probably should play him at point guard more, and the numbers there are, are very, very good. One other data point that I think is interesting with Booker, and I think this speaks to the effective field goal percentage difference, is I, I wanted to look at DeAndre Ayton with and without Booker, because he's, you know, yeah. a, a more dependent talent. Ayton's usage rate, unsurprisingly, goes up when Devin Booker is off the floor. It goes from about a 19% usage to 22, but his true shooting drops significantly, drops from being a 66% true shooting with Booker down to 59%. So if you think about somebody who occupies a large portion of percentage, who a large proportion of your offense, and it totally makes sense that Aiton would be more effective with Booker on the floor because he's the best distributor that they have. He is the most cogent, most dangerous offensive player. So it draws attention, draws everything else. And so that's worth watching as well. So I, I think that part of the reason why the Booker point guard stuff is looking so good is because the guys that played next to him when he was the two, other than Jamal Crawford, have been so terrible like they're, they're just not most of them are not nba players so that does really help but that's where we're getting into here so devin booker for the season overall if you combine everything the suns are about a league average offense when he's on the floor one 110 but if it's closer to that point guard number of 115, 114, then you really have something going. And even if, you know, the negative elements of his defense that we see in some of the stats are real, if he's providing, if he's a big part of an offense with the talent that they have with him and Aiton being there and i mean obviously tj warren's having this crazy season then this is a very different type of suns team and maybe you could try to patch over or figure out some of the defensive foibles yeah booker not clear when he's going to return so they did have that big win over the nuggets without him 
in what probably has got to be their best defensive game of the season along only 93 points to the nuggets and encouraging in that game only 13 out of 29 for the nuggets at the rim and five out of 14 in the paint so this is a Suns team that obviously has really struggled to defend the basket and they did pretty well in this game only one game obviously but nuggets are a pretty solid offense so we'll see maybe if uh they can start to defend the basket a little bit better here let's turn to portland 26 and 19 despite a loss to the kings tonight which we'll talk about a little bit six and three since the last 15 and 60 2.3 net rating is 10th in the nba ninth on offense 15th on defense they project for 46 wins and the sixth seed 76 percent chance of making the playoffs and that is a likely playoff team they really are despite this rough back-to-back i mean facing you know having to travel to sacramento and face that go-go team on this on the tail end is pretty rough they're still seven games over 500 and they have one of the softer remaining western conference schedules i believe overall in the league yeah they're in the the 10 easiest schedules and they're as you would expect they're not many west teams in that 10 easiest schedules because they're mostly in the east and this is kind of a weird thing with the blazers because they're not that intellectually interesting because we know what they are and this team is not substantially different from their predecessors even if they're i probably especially because the blazers have like really intelligent fans uh, who are really into the team i probably struggle to come up with something interesting to say about them uh and guess what saying it's hard to come up with something interesting doesn't qualify as something interesting (laughs) uh but yeah i mean they're like the hardest team for me to come up with something new because they just have been such a consistent team this whole you know these last really this will be the fourth season now of this group and a big part of that is also that their star players have largely stayed healthy. And so this year, but this, these stats are before the Kings game, they played about two-thirds of their minutes with both Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum on the floor together. And that is a massive number. The Pel- the Blazers are plus 4.2 in those, uh, plus 4.2 net rating in those minutes. And I mean, we don't know if that's going to continue over the season, but if you can be even close to that and have your two best players be a, a plus four team, even in a loaded Western Conference, that team's going to make the playoffs a lot. They're going to make they're going to make it this year. They're going to make it. You know that that's just what this is now. Something that I'm fascinated with with this team is that, yes, Dame and CJ are under contract for another couple of years, but how they feel about what about how this is is going to be important because the new ownership group is going to have to think about re-signing these guys at some point, identifying how they how they define success is going to be extremely important because this is at for the time being a very expensive team. And Paul Allen, one of his the best pieces of praise that we can give him is that the Blazers were not a small market team in terms of spending even if they are in terms of actual market. So how they feel about it is going to be incredibly important. But if those two guys just stay on the floor and yeah, they've been rough in the minutes when Damon CJ don't play, but I mean, you can, you can live with that if you get that plus 4.2 out there for two thirds of it. A few observations from their game against the Kings. They did a pretty decent job of keeping the Kings out of transition. You know, Fox really did not do a, a ton in this game. They managed to get guys back. I thought Yusuf Nurkic was pretty effective defending the rim. Jake Lehman started and actually did not get the Keith Bogans. Mo Harkless, again, you know, we talked about how he's uh, continued to be out for some time uh layman was six of seven at the rim and had a couple of nice back cuts early for dunks had a, a really nice euro step driving now uh, the limitation in layman's game has always been how good is his defense going to be number one uh, you know he's really kind of more of a straight line vertical athlete than maybe a sit deep in a stance horizontal guy but and then also the three-pointer he was over for two uh, on above the break three-pointers in this one but he is white so maybe they'd guard him out there still uh, he, but he's he's not really hunting the three-pointer the way you'd like to see they close this one with evan turner in his place 
case though it still is just it's so difficult when turner is out there i particularly didn't care for an ato in which they ran a, a turner screen for dame lillard and then let turner try to attack a deer and fox and he missed a shot that was during a critical stretch as they were trying to come back in the last five minutes it never really got back into contact i think the closest it got was six as the kings held them off with it a number of pretty difficult shots cj continues to have you know some of these games that just uh, are not that good he was two of 14 in this game and you know this king's team is not a team where like oh man look at all these awesome perimeter stoppers they have that would be giving him a, a lot of trouble nurkic you would hope that he with against the king's skinny centers could maybe do a little bit more three for seven didn't do a, a ton there either zach collins took one shot in 22 minutes and you know the hope was he would be a three-point threat this year that's not really happening that much and one of the lineups that they put out there late in the first and third quarters is collins nurkic and turner up front i mean that's just nowhere near enough shooting to be efficient myers leonard though continues to look better i think one of the things that i've liked about his season is i mean he still can't really stop anybody but he's been a little bit angrier going to the basket when he is inside but more just that he's had far less hesitation shooting the ball he was three or four from downtown tonight had a nice play as the shot clock was winding down where he kind of pivoted uh, froze the defense uh, and hit a three so he but but a lot of his minutes he's playing together with collins and so you know if you had him out there and you had a stretch option at the four then that might be able to boost the offense but really effectively on offense he's if he's playing with collins and he's playing with turner most of the time his shooting ends up being a lot less valuable there because you still have other guys that, that you can help off of even if he is spacing the floor one other shooter we should talk about on this team is seth curry is actually leading the nba in three-point shooting percentage of eligible players he is up to 49 percent for the season he was one for three in their loss to sacramento one of his many former teams and a, a, a pretty remarkable CJ stat for, for me. The Blazers have played eight games so far in the month of January, which, you know, eight games in 14 days is a lot. CJ's only been 50% or above from the field in two of those games. That was against Sh- Chicago and against Charlotte. Not exactly stalwarts, especially, you know, with, with Charlotte's going through their, their center stuff and everything else. And every other game below 50% and a lot of those games below 40% from the field, including their back-to-back losses to Denver and Sacramento. Speaking of Sacramento, 23 and 21 now. They have uh, now hit my season-long win prediction for them of 23 games. Their over-under, I think, was 23 and a half, so they are going to surpass that quite shortly. Four and five in their last nine, negative 0.4 net rating is 20th, 16th in offense, 18th in defense. That is quite the accomplishment given this personnel. Actually, both of them are, but especially uh, the defense. Projecting for 37 wins, which would be 13th in the conference, still 4% chance of making the playoffs you remember how early in the year yogi farrell wasn't playing and frank mason was and there was reporting that there was pressure from the front office to play farrell instead of frank mason that pressure was absolutely correct farrell is having a a nice season pretty much right about where he was a little bit lower usage than he was in, in dallas last year but similar efficiency actually a little bit better 56 percent true shooting and just a, a steadying hand a, a guy who can take some threes off the dribble if you need him to space the floor never turns it over 7.4 percent turnover rate that's a real improvement from his dallas days so he's been a totally solid backup point guard yet another backup point guard who was available for pretty cheap and dallas actually could sure 
sure use him now with the JJ Barea down, although, you know, they have gotten some decent play from Brunson, but especially if they're going to move Dennis Smith and JJ Barea is out for the year, they have one point guard basically on the roster. Devin Harris isn't really a point guard anymore in terms of his ability to run, pick and roll and get to the basket. But anyway, this is the King section. That is the signing that really has worked out pretty well. I mean, well, Ian Bielitsa. That's what I was going to get to. The two guys that had deals that fell apart with other teams are really benefiting the Kings. Bielitsa still has a 16 PER, which is great. And Sacramento, I mean, there's a lot to really like here. I mean, especially this was something I, I, I noticed I, that James Ham had kind of had something leading into this, that they're very potent facing teams that their opponent is on a back-to-back just because the energy yeah. that Sacramento plays and, with. And less potent when they themselves are on a back-to-back. Oh, yeah. Which is also not a surprise, especially because they rely so much on De'Aaron Fox, who, who, yeah, his stamina is amazing, but he has to work so damn hard in every single game for them. He is the the engine, really, for this team. And watching this game, a, a, a couple of takeaways. I mean, I think that Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, his his effort as a role man is is definitely useful, but I, I'm a little bit concerned, especially because of how well Sacramento has played this year, that they will overrate his importance and overrate his or underrate his replaceability like well there are player you know Collie Stein does what Collie Stein does better than a lot of other theoretical replacements I don't think he rises to the threshold we talked you know that this is a big part of the center rankings podcast from last year which helped crystallize this in my brain that I don't think he re- reaches that threshold of oh crap we have to pay this guy in particular and Sacramento has more money than they know what to do with but Remember, now they're good enough that some of these guys are going to get more expensive. Yeah, that's a good point. Collie Stein, I thought, struggled to finish in this game. He's gotten better in that area. He's gotten better in terms of floater range, being able to attack off of one dribble. I mean, he did have just a terrible jump shot from the foul line with like 15 on the shot clock when they're up eight with three minutes left. That wasn't close. Um, And I think when he's really contested and he doesn't have a dunk, he's still a, a pretty poor finisher. I thought Harry Giles actually showed a few things in this game where he actually got up for some alley-oops. We haven't seen a lot of that from him. But it's very clear still that when they don't have a shooter at the four, that they're going to struggle a lot offensively. And there's makes them so dependent on transition as well. When they play Bagley at the four, which I think he played exclusively at the four tonight, either with Collie Stein or with Giles, there just is not space to work. I think he took one three and, and missed it. I do enjoy, though, that Bagley, I mean, is not the most artful finisher, but when you throw in his percentage, when he goes and gets his own miss and pops off the floor again, he's probably actually is a, end up being a, a pretty good finisher. They closed this game actually with Bogdanovich at the four, or maybe you could say Shumpert was the four, with Heald, Fox, Shumpert, Bogdanovich, and then Cauley Stein at center. Uh, Bogdanovich had a couple of pretty ridiculous shots to keep them out of touch from the Blazers, a beautiful one-foot runner from 19 feet with the shot clock running down but donovich continues to to impress me he was eight out of ten tonight one quick note on that i think donovich might be my calibrator for this year of knowing that somebody watches and enjoys a lot of league pass because he is just so dynamic and has has really made a big difference for them wherever he fits in the rotation he's closing a lot of games but he's typically not starting and i just love watching him i mean it was it was really the De'Aaron fox show early while he was recovering from injury but now those two guys and obviously heels having a wonderful year as well are just they, they make my they make this team dynamic they make them fun and they can add around it because all of those guys are under contract for at least next year let's turn to the spurs 25 and 25 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 some odd losses though we mentioned that blowout loss that they had 
to the Grizzlies their only win in their last eight games got blown out at home tonight by Charlotte putting up only 93 points against a pretty punchless defense Kemba Walker went off on them for 33 Jeremy Lamb is back from his hamstring he had 19 Aldridge continues to kill but the Spurs actually just shot a mere 35 percent uh from three which is way below where they've been before and they do have to shoot pretty well because they don't get a ton of attempts up it is an interesting this approach is interesting i think it's something that could bear more study these teams that aren't shooting as many threes but shoot a pretty good percentage the kings are actually kind of in that group too that perhaps there's something to be said for we're only going to take the threes that are really good and we're going to shoot a really high percentage on those i don't think that's correct i think you're still better off math wise taking more threes so you wanted to talk a little bit uh about rudy gay i'll give their fundamentals first at 25 and 20 13th net in net rating at 2.1 fifth in offense that's just unbelievable to me that they're fifth in offense 113.1 and 21st in defense and uh project to tie for the seventh seed at 43 wins 53 percent chance of making the playoffs uh, gay has been out with this left wrist injury uh, but uh, you want to talk just about the season that he's having pretty impressive considering where he's at in his age and coming off that achilles injury a couple years ago yeah we're almost exactly two years out of the injury it was on january 18th 2017 and what what's so striking when i watch Gay is that you you don't even really think about the achilles injury that much with him now unless unless you're thinking about it just in the context of oh yeah that's a big part of his kind of identity as a as a player now but like he's showing plenty of bounce his dunk rate is not that far off the late 20s you know he was 40 minutes per dunk then 45 now and that's you know his late 20s most guys really do take a step back athletically during that time anyway and i also think rudy gay is a a good prism for looking at how the league has changed you know he his per is not that far behind the seasons when he was the big dog in sacramento and toronto despite a dramatically lower usage rate you know he was a 27 percent usage guy then now he's closer to 21 percent. but how that happens is is he's a better rebounder now. Some of that is due to, you know, playing up a position more often, but also being a much more efficient player. And the biggest change that's happened from his late years in SAC is that he's move. Actually, this is an, it's a hard change to kind of visualize is that he's taking fewer floaters and yeah, he's taking more of the basket and those are obviously better, but he's also taking more threes and Rudy Gay, you know, about a 40% shooter from floater range. So if you think about that 40% from floater range, that's about 26.6% from three. If you want to do on a points per possession, you can argue some stuff about rebounds and foul rates and all that kind of stuff and he's obviously a better better than 26 percent three-point shooter so he's been able to become more efficient by taking out some of the worst parts of his game we talked about this a little bit with with jeff teague is or sorry with jeff green as well when we did the wizards last week now there's a little bit of a concern that he's gonna take a step back from three he was at 47 percent a few weeks ago went to 42 percent for the season before he had this wrist issue and 42 percent is fantastic but especially for a guy who's a 35 percent career shooter 40 percent career high 31 percent last year when he was on the same team so you expect even a step back there in taking a quarter of his shots from three you have that and then the other part of rudy gay that has helped with his efficiency is that he did a lot more self-creation in sacramento and toronto that he's doing now and so that has helped him become more efficient and thus you know kind of keep 
his overall numbers are the same, even with that drop off in usage. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about doing less of his own creation, right? At this point, Pagasol, I don't think that his coming back and playing for the Spurs is necessarily a good thing. Uh, he played 10 minutes, started at center. Pirtle played 11 minutes. I think Pirtle is just so much better defensively, does so much more on the offensive glass as well than Gasol does. Much better transition player to the limited extent that this team is going to run. And Pirtle is the future as well. Now, Gasol, I mean, maybe they just feel like they need to keep him happy, but. I think especially with this starting unit that doesn't have a ton of athleticism, that Pirtle is really a, a nicer fit with that group and that maybe Gasol to me fits in a little bit better on that second unit with guys who are kind of the old Spurs way, going to move the ball, more off ball screening, passing and cutting. Whereas having Gasol out there with LaMarcus, with DeRozan, those guys aren't going to do a lot off ball where his passing would become important. So I do think he should play more on the second unit. I don't starting him doesn't make a, a lot of sense to me and i think pertle is just clearly the better player at, at this point in time all right let's finish it up utah jazz they are playing really well they'll still have the old inexplicable loss but tonight against the pistons looked like it was going in that direction they also had a home game against the magic where they trailed by 20 in the first half it roared back it to win that one donovan mitchell is on fire uh, these stats are from his last three games although he was 9 to 21 28 points tonight one West player of the week for the first time. You, you wrote, for what it's worth in the document, it is worth very little. Over the three games before this one, 12 of 18 at the rim. So 67%. Floater was a little better, 6 of 14. But really the big thing is just the jump shot. Hitting the three-pointer at 12 out of 25. And then long twos, 7 out of 12. I had predicted that his true shooting would go up in our last awards pot. Off to a good start there, even though he's had more of a creation burden. Some of this seems like it's not really particularly sustainable shooting. I mean, he's just taking more shots and the three ball has been going in. Uh, But also distributing a little bit more. I think that he's playing point guard and putting him more in that mode is a good thing for him. I still don't know, and he shot a lot of free throws tonight too. Generally, he does not get to the foul line a ton. And I think it's just his style of play is not particularly particularly conducive to that because the way he goes up off of two feet he's not really creating contact he's trying to extend out past the defense avoid contact go to those scoop shots which are very nice looking shots when they go in but you're not going to get fouled when you're kind of not going through the defense you're trying to go under or around it so i don't know what to make of this stretch that he's shooting the ball better now i think he, that was bound to happen it's coincided with him also shooting a lot more because they've just needed that with rubio and exum and Neto all out but i can't say i've seen anything particular to say that like this is going to continue at this type of a rate i think you know he's going to settle in in between here and where he was earlier in the season that seems fair and i hope that this doesn't put unrealistic expectations either for the fan base or also for the coaching staff that oh this is just who donovan mitchell is now he he's a better shooter than i think he showed earlier on in this season so that is, is definitely a positive yeah. also worth noting that he's been doing that he did this against like the magic and the bulls were two of the three teams mm-hmm. um and he was uh three for seven again on threes tonight so that, that was pretty good the the bulls had a pretty interesting strategy even even against Kyle Korver, they basically went under on every single screen. Uh, and Korver, again, tonight was 5 of 11, 32 minutes. Uh, David Locke noted that he only played over 34 times all last year at the Cavs. So he's that trade has really worked for Utah. I mean, if you compare the price that Utah gave up to get him and they're getting him for longer in the season, 
and he's under contract for another year versus what memphis gave up to get holiday no comparison there at all especially when you consider that utah's second rounders are probably worse than memphis's second round memphis's second rounders unprotected like those could end up being really good picks so uh utah did pretty well in that trade and then their defense has just been killing it over the last 20 games or so and i think Locke also noted that they've been under a 100 defensive rating for something like 15 of those 20 games so that their defense is back they've been the number one defense in the nba for quite some time now and uh looks like rudy gobert's defensive player of the year is getting some momentum they really stifled the pistons tonight blake griffin struggled after lighting up the clippers a couple days ago the crowder and favors did pretty well on griffin he griffin took 17 shots 11 of those were threes and he only took two free throws that is some really really good defense and a lot of that's gobert a lot of it is Derek favors not a guy that griffin can just go attack in the post the way he can with most power forwards these days Griffin also had as many turnovers as he had assists, four of each. And the Pistons as a whole, only they had 16 assists on 35 made baskets compared to 20 of 31 for the Jazz. And they were, you know, Jazz were making some threes. They were getting a lot of Corver shots were assisted as they as they often are. And I mean, I felt for Griffin in this game because just like usual, the Jazz decided to make basically anybody else beat them and nobody else really could. They even had Kyrie Thomas in the lineup for some of the minutes late, which was which was a little bit interesting. Let's put it that way. And the Jazz, like, yeah, their defense is, is completely legit. And I'm, you know, I've been a buyer on that before. And so kind of like what, what happened with the Rockets, where the projection systems are, hey, this is a better team than it looked like. And something else to consider, I mean, I talked about this a little bit with Portland, but it's even stronger for Utah. They have by far the easiest remaining schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage of anybody in the Western Conference. They don't have that many games against the strongest teams and still have a bunch against some softies. So we could expect to see them make up some real ground. They're currently three games over 500, but I think that's going to get a lot higher. And so we'll see, you know, the, the projections are optimistic. 538 has them tying, I believe, with the, yeah, so it, it has them tied with the Rockets for four. So that would be the 4-5 series. And it would take some work to really get beyond that because OKC is five games ahead of them in the loss column. But we'll see where it goes i mean that's the hardest schedule and the easiest schedule in the conference remaining so see that and play quality see how much of a difference it makes yeah and okc does not want to see these guys they they do not match up well against the jazz i, I don't think uh yeah and utah is another one starting to play better now where the projection systems deserve some credit with those preseason projections also incorporating the schedule and i mean 94 percent playoff odds i mean that seems a little high to me for the for the jazz uh but really it seems like after a crazy start that it's starting to shake even the pelicans are starting to play better now they're a team that we thought would be a solid playoff team this year some of these surprise teams the grizz the mavs falling off even the clippers are falling off a little bit i mean really the only team that's just incredibly above expectations right now is probably sacramento in terms of still being over 500 we'll see what happens to them and there's still i think an understanding that they're going to fall off and despite being over 500 they've been a little bit lucky in terms of their point differential so it does seem like things are getting closer to where we thought they would be at the start of the year clearly houston and utah are not going to be the 50 win team juggernaut type of teams that you thought utah would win 55 i had them winning 50 and then you know houston obviously we had them in the high 50s i think both of us so that's that's not gonna happen but it does seem like we're getting a little bit closer to order being restored here in terms of the teams that we thought were the haves at the start of the season and the teams we thought were the have-nots 
So that's, I think, a good one to end it on. Anything you want to talk about before we depart here? Well, no, I'll just mention again that we're bringing back the NBA cast for Tuesday Tuesday night's games. We're going to try something more red zone-y. It's going to be really exciting to see how that works for it. And yeah, we, you, people who, who know that, you can, of course, check out our Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Duncan All right, we will catch you guys next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.